there are people who caricature business as these people only care about profits and nothing else. And I've always argued that businesses are made up of people who have moral a moral compass. And when you sit on top of a major company, you have a platform. And I'm not saying endorse one presidential candidate over another. I'm saying defend the scientific process. Believe, argue that the scientific community in America should be listened to in a moment like this. Haven't heard that. It's been really interesting to me because it strikes me as a question about how strong is our civil society? How strong is our nation if these leaders are not willing to speak up? Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. From a leadership standpoint, acting on sustainability and acting on the pandemic overlap. You probably see Ashish's name everywhere too, especially since our first episode. He's in the thick of all of this at the highest national level. He's also moved from one institution to another, so he's very busy. But he shares an inside view of the political happenings on responding to the pandemic I don't think most people see that don't even make it into the media. He also shares his personal emotional experience, the frustration at seeing people dying unnecessarily. I think you can tell that despite the numbers, he cares. Actually, I realized after he responded to something I said that I spoke too glibly in stating the number of American deaths without really recognizing what that meant. Most of our conversation covered the leadership vacuum responding to the pandemic, as well as the environment in general. This leadership vacuum is, it's pandemic, it's endemic. We are not handling it well. I believe you'll hear that Ashish and I, that we are moving toward talking leadership strategy at this high level. I'm not sure if it'll get through to others to make a difference, but that's the direction we're moving. And I expect we'll have more conversations after this one. The emotional challenge of leadership, finding what works besides management. That's what we're working on. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Ashish again. Ashish, how are you doing? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I'm very good. And we left off last time in the thick of a great conversation. We were talking a lot about the difference between leadership and management, which there's a lot of management, not a lot of leadership in the pandemic which, and, and in sustainability. Very similar. But the very last thing we were talking about was preventing the next pandemic. And I don't know if you remember what you were saying was that this was several months ago. It's now late September. And you said, well, we're really in the thick of things. we got to save lives. Maybe by the fall, then we'll be less in the thick of things. And something tells me that uh, the combination of the lack of leadership in this nation is that we're still in the thick of things. Oh, and, and you've switched from Harvard to Brown. So your personal life has probably been a challenge. It's always stressful to change jobs. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, what's interesting is, so I, I was at one place for 16 years. Harvard was the only place I had ever worked in my life. And yeah, I switched, you know, about three weeks ago, September 1st, to a new job. And it's great. It's a great university. It's a really great environment. But the challenge of, you know, people talk about job changes is one of the big stressors of life. And, and it's largely because there's a lot that I knew, the implicit knowledge of getting when you know an institution well. You know how to get stuff done. You know how to move things around. You lose all that when you switch institutions. And so that's been kind of a personal challenge. It's not a huge one. I will learn it, but it is 
in the middle of this pandemic, a, a real, a bit of a challenge. The second is that I have a more, to the conversation that we've been having, a much more of a clear leadership role at Brown as the dean of the School of Public Health. And so obviously that has meant thinking a lot about how do I help people who are really extraordinary and, and, and talented and smart manage their way through and get through this period of time. Uh, because everybody, but particularly people in public health, are really feeling stressed out in the middle of the pandemic because a lot of folks are just working insane hours trying to manage uh, and play a helpful role in the pandemic. So it's been a very interesting moment to try to switch jobs, to do it in the middle of a pandemic, to do it in while you're in public health. And then there, of course, there's just some weird parts of it, like I didn't really get a chance to say goodbye to people in person, like people I'd worked with for 16 years. I just sent them a note saying, see you soon. <laughs> but I don't know when I'll see them, right? Like all the rituals we have, those rituals are disrupted in this pandemic. And mine is a minor ritual. I mean, obviously much bigger rituals like weddings and funerals and childbirth celebrations, all, all of those rituals that are so critical to our lives, uh, I think have been lost in this pandemic. And that's been very interesting to reflect on for so many people. I'm glad you shared that because leadership and the personal are integrally related. And if you don't feel, I mean, everyone's situation is unique and they're, you know, you're not worried about paying your rent and then there are plenty of people with that, but you're not like just in some ivory tower either. And I think I'm glad to, I mean, I'm glad you shared that. I'm also curious if you don't mind me jumping to, are we at what, have we crossed 200,000? Is it, does it feel like, and the divide, the sharp divide, the, from the leadership aspect, the numbers are one thing, but people are, how do I put it? I mean, the image, the stories, what it means to a lot of people not to wear a mask is very strong, very powerful, very now ingrained. I'm guessing this is very frustrating from your perspective, but only you know. Yeah. So a couple of, couple of things reflecting on the moment we are in. So we have lost more than 200,000 Americans. The number of infections as we enter, as we finish out September, enter October, the number of infections across the country is rising. By every kind of measure that I can think of, uh, the number of deaths will start climbing as well, and we will see a lot of people get sick and a lot of people die. What's unfortunate is vast majority of this is preventable. And it's not preventable through some extraordinary means, like we have to shut down our country. No, we don't have to shut down our country. I, you know, there have been people who've called for a second shutdown, and I've actually been opposed to it because I feel like it's unnecessary. There's a set of what I think are relatively easy things that we as a nation should be doing, but we refuse to do them. And they include like getting people to wear masks. Don't go to bars that are indoors. I largely think indoor dining is, is generally a bad idea. I love restaurants, but it's because when you're dining indoors, guess what? You can't wear a mask. So you have to take off your mask and you start eating and it becomes a, a, a risky situation. It's frustrating to me that these ideas, which strike me as like relatively small costs to save lots of lives and get our economy going again, we have not as a nation been able to do them, uh, partly because of, of lack of political leadership and largely driven by misinformation. And, and I don't even understand the political calculus. Like, why is there a political calculus that says that more people dying and more of our economy harmed uh, is better? So it's all, it is a bit of a perplexing moment that we are in. Well, there, I think that the way you put it is, I'm not sure if it's a political calculus that of, of like, let's have more people die. 
this is a challenge for me always in leadership. And I wish that more people did this when, when I have disagreements is I don't think someone's saying like, how can we cause more deaths? They're framing it in a totally different light. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, as long as one group says, look, here's the science, here's what it shows. It's going to be more deaths if we don't. It's going to be fewer deaths if we do. It makes a whole lot of sense to do it. But the other side is saying it's a matter of freedom. It's a matter of whatever. I think even if one side is right and the other side is wrong, if the other side doesn't feel listened to, doesn't feel heard, doesn't feel understood, then I think it engenders pushback. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying it's helpful. No, I think that's right. I think that's undoubtedly true, Josh. And the question that I have been struggling with is six weeks, five weeks before the election, is it possible to not make the pandemic a deeply political, deeply partisan issue? And the short answer may be no. The short answer may be that we, we're going to live through this highly politicized lens. But I certainly, in my public spheres, as well as in private conversations I have with uh, political leaders, try to depoliticize this because I don't think anybody is served well by seeing this through a purely partisan lens. And, and most important part of that is making sure that people are hurt, that people who, and maybe this gets at a different point, and, and if you want to go down this road, but you know, when I think about the, the folks who think that wearing a mask is an abridgment of their freedom, who think that this whole thing is a hoax, my sense is most of those people, they're good people. They care about family. They care about their community. They care about their country. They have been inundated with misinformation. And a key principle of public health has always been that you don't give up on folks. You know, you don't give up on somebody because of their behavior. You try to reach out to them. You try to do harm reduction. You try to engage them. You meet them where they are. And so what I've been saying to my public health friends is do not give up on the 40% of Americans or 30% of Americans who have been fed a lot of misinformation, uh, meet them where they are and try to engage with them and try to help them understand the situation we're in. But it's a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable when trying to empathize with someone that you strongly disagree with. People routinely say, you know, empathize and see, but when it actually comes to a disagreement with someone that like you really disagree with them on, it's really uncomfortable. Like it's horribly uncomfortable to adopt the feeling of someone who you think is killing people. Yeah. And yet if you don't, your credibility in their eyes decreases and your ability to influence them decreases. It's, I don't envy your position because it's, like one of the things that I thought might make some headway when I saw, you know, The Rock got COVID-19 and he spoke about it. And that's not the normal place that you'd expect. Like you're talking about political leadership. That's one type of leadership. There's certainly business leadership is big in this country, but Elon Musk seems to be kind of a weird voice. But there's lots of voices. It seems like the late night talk shows are doing pretty big about, you know, wearing masks and distancing and so forth. They're setting, they're modeling behavior. It seems like there's big opportunity. I don't know if this could be done, but I mean, obviously Trump is very effective at getting media attention. I mean, he's incredible at it. And, but other sources of leadership. I mean, Martin Luther King was not elected. Right. Mandela was not elected. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is one of the things- sorry, Mandela was elected eventually, but at the beginning. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, he, he was elected- much later, and it was because, in some ways, of his incredible lifelong leadership. Yeah, uh, I 
mean, you can almost imagine that the presidency for him, as, as important as it was, was almost a sort of like, yeah. Anyway, what I, what's been interesting to me is the lack of leadership from civil society, from business in this pandemic. Um, you have not heard CEOs of major companies speak up about the importance of following science. And I have always believed that it's really important not to have the government be the sole and only voice in any society because it's important to have competing voices. It's important to have religious institutions. Uh, it's important to have businesses. It's important to have universities. We have heard very little from the rest of civil society. It has largely been a battle between politicians and it's been a battle between the president and the scientific community. And my take is like, we're the business leaders. Yeah. Do the business leaders really think that CDC and FDA and all the scientists are part of a deep state? Like, is that the America that they want to, but they're terrified. So I have been pretty unimpressed with the lack of, of courage from so many communities about this pandemic. I think they're kind of hoping to ride it out and they don't want to get on the wrong side and they, they don't want to become political. And my take is saying that we should follow the science is not political. Like, and, and to the extent that people have made it political, you got to push back and say it's not political. But I haven't seen it. I have, uh, you know, can you think of, uh, of a major CEO of a Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 or a company that has uh, come out pretty repeatedly and said we have to follow the science on the pandemic? Well, before you said on, on the pandemic, uh, Ivan Chouinard of Patagonia on the environment has, I mean, they're taking, they're doing a lot. I mean, on the pandemic, they've closed all their stores. I don't know all the details, but they're not going for whatever profit they can, despite whatever. They're going for safety first, my understanding. Yeah. I mean, they were being somewhat political, but they want to defend the public lands that are being sold off. Yeah. But yeah, outside of, there are not many cases. And, you know, it's funny because like the drug companies, they're kind of, mixed because the profit's going to come from selling a drug. I mean, we've seen some, right? We saw the Merck CEO leave the president's council after Charlottesville because he just found it morally unacceptable to, you know, to uh, be part of the council after the president said what he said about Charlottesville. But it has been, but the kind of, again, the kind of lack of courage of, of, of major companies has been really interesting. I mean, I suppose where I land on this is, is I expected more. There are people who caricature business as these people only care about profits and nothing else. And I've always argued that, that, you know, businesses are made up of people who have moral, a moral compass. And when you sit on top of a major company, you have a platform. And I'm not saying endorse one presidential candidate over another. I'm saying defend the scientific process. Believe, argue that this that the scientific community in America is uh, should be listened to in a moment like this. Haven't heard that, and it's been really interesting to me because it strikes me as a question about how strong is our civil society, how strong is our nation if these leaders are not willing to speak up. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. 
Whether you start big or small, it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. From a leadership perspective, okay, that's the situation it is. Not just how strong is it? How can we strengthen it? What can we do? Sure. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm trying to also think of like, you got some big institutions backing you. I mean, attached to you, Brown, Harvard. Are these, do they have, are these resources that can, one could strategize about? The stories around it are, people are influenced more by stories than by, by facts. That's my understanding. You give people a bunch of data, their eyes will often gloss over, tell someone's story. Absolutely. Narratives, yeah. And from the beginning, I think I said this last time, I forget, but you know, men, when I heard lockdown, I thought Mandela was in prison for 27 years. We're looking at months to years, as it's turned out, it's going to be years. And well, we got a long way to go to hit 27. So I'm thinking no problem. I mean, I would have liked life to be one way, but life has changed and I didn't cause it that way. I don't complain about gravity. I don't complain that, you know, if it rains when I didn't expect it to, I'm not mad at the rain. If rain happens. It's not, you know, and so this pandemic, well, we probably won't get to talk this time about preventing future ones, but you said last time, you know, we're st- when we're in the thick of things, it's, it's not a great time to talk about it. I still think it is, but I, I think you're probably right on that. No, I think it is a good time to talk about it, but you also have to balance it with getting through the current one, right? Like we need to be able to do both. I would love to get the message out there. I mean, the media is, they're really, in politics, they tend to cover a horse race issue of, you know, who's ahead in this state and that state and stuff like that, which isn't really meaningful. It's, but it, it gets people reading. Oh, what happened today? What happened yesterday? Yep. And same with the pandemic. It's like they're covering all these numbers. But to me, to have a story of, you know, I, I keep coming back to like the really big ones. Viktor Frankl, his situation changed drastically when the Nazis put him in, in Auschwitz. And he didn't say, how can I get back to what it was like before? He said, well, there's something, well, I guess the quote is something like, you know, if you ever get incurable cancer, there's something you can't change. What no one can take away from you is the, the way to look at it, the way it makes it best for you. And I don't see that. I don't see anyone trying that. I don't see anyone, people have fallen into their view. Others have fallen into a different view. And it's like, that's it. There's no one saying, I understand that perspective. What about this one? Or have you thought about this? Or, or just coming at it from a different standpoint. I, teaching, enabling people to, I, I think everyone would prefer if they feel like, if they feel miserable, and here's a way of looking at it where you won't feel so miserable, I think they would like that. I don't, I can't see a way, I've, I've looked in life, I can't see a reason when misery or a situation where misery is preferable. Yeah, I mean, to go back to your rain analogy for a second, you know, what's interesting is, so let's say you're out for a picnic and you're really excited and it starts raining. There are choices. You can be upset about the fact that it's raining. Let's say they're, you know, we can be mad at the rain, but that's not going to make a difference. There are choices like you can put, you know, you can use an umbrella. You could put on a rain jacket. You could just get wet. Those are all choices and those are reasonable choices. You can have a discussion, about. but you would want to have a discussion on the consequences of any of those choices. And reasonable people could disagree on what they're willing to do. The problem is that a group of small group of people have come around, and we have political leaders who've amplified this, 
who say it's actually not wet at all. Rain isn't wet. Water isn't wet. There's no rain. In fact, and, and so then you, like those of us who are trying to lay out the choices are finding ourselves like saying, I can't believe I'm debating whether water is wet. I can't believe I'm debating whether it's raining or not. Like, and it totally changes the terms of the debate. And this has been a major part of this pandemic is we keep talking about and debating things that like normal rational scientists generally don't debate because like water's wet. Like it's sort of almost, you know, so it's, it's that kind of stuff that is really a challenge and where help from our broader society and leaders in our society. I think, again, going back to this, I've been really disappointed at the lack of leadership coming out of other sectors of our country to just say, let's not debate whether water is wet. Let's like talk about what the choices are in front of us and whether we're willing to, you know, what the trade-offs are. Yeah, it's really, it is troubling that people dig in and they accept the terms and they don't like that debate often causes the other person to dig in. They will, you know, they have the relief, even if they, in other circumstances, might switch from that belief. When they hear something challenging that belief, they'll often dig into that belief harder. And so if we, if someone comes to them with a bunch of facts and that's not how they look at it, then the person who comes to them with the facts will be disregarded. Scientists, are, it, it feels like there's a, there's a missing layer. I don't know where it would come from. Scientists are effective at getting data. Journalists are effective at getting people to read stories. Educators are effective at, at, at spreading facts. None of these are necessarily coincident with influencing people to change their behavior. And so the information all comes right. from one place or comes from a bunch of places and it disseminated from people who are not skilled in changing people's behavior. People are effective at things like that. And business leaders aren't necessarily good at that either. They're often authority people. Leaders are like, I mean, the big cases I think of, I, I talked about this last time, it was like Patton could get you to walk into battle, risking your life and love the, you know, you're not happy, but you're glad you're there. Or, you know, the, the sports coaches are, can often turn a depressed team into a, a roused team. But I don't expect, nor would I think scientists are going to be particularly, I, to get scientists to like learn to give a halftime speech probably not going to happen. But there's a missing layer of turning. Yeah. And, and journalists, they, they really seem to be more motivated to get you outraged or, or just reading, that, reading more stories of theirs. And that's not necessarily change behavior. Yeah. And obviously, journalists have a very different role. And some of them have been, I mean, journalists in this pandemic have been superb, a lot of them, in revealing things, in making public a lot of what has gone on in our government and, and the failures of our government. There's a whole set of journalists who I think have been just extraordinary, but their job isn't to galvanize public opinion in the same way. It is to reveal, it is to hold accountable. But again, as I said, we're just in a, in a, I think we're in a leadership crisis in our country because leadership is supposed to come from multiple sectors and multiple sources. And we have seen a real void of leadership from almost every sector. Churchill would be the big one. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be really hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat this, but we're going to do this. And that message, it's, it's right there. You know, all I have to, someone could just take his speeches and like change the words a bit. Yeah. No, that would have been amazing. We don't have a Churchill-like leader in our country, right? So, yeah, I, I think the re- moment of reflection here is what happens when the government fails? Does society fail or do other parts of our government uh, step up? 
And what I'm realizing is largely we don't have the rest of society strong enough to step up. That's what we're learning in this pandemic. The fact that we elected somebody who fundamentally is, you know, who has run a pretty incompetent federal response is obviously upsetting. But my take is that stuff can happen. It, it clearly did. It might happen again in our lifetimes. Like we shouldn't assume that we'll never get another incompetent leader. I think the question is, when you get an incompetent leader, does the entire society collapse? Or And, and it has not the entire society has collapsed. We've had a lot still continuing to function, but will others step up to fill the void? And I think that to me has been the most interesting part of this, Josh, is I'm not seeing that void getting filled by others. Well, we're going to have to wrap up there because your schedule is very tight. But my understanding is that your, your title is now higher. Are you going to bring more? What, what do you see coming from what you're doing now? I mean, you're working hard to change things, to save lives. Yeah, there are two things. I mean, first is there's just a set of work that I'm going to continue obviously doing on the pandemic on COVID-19. And I think that's important and or feels important and feels impactful. But there is a second part, which is really thinking about, I have now a set of responsibilities running a school of public health, which is asking questions like, what's a school of public health for? And what can it do in a post-pandemic world? And how do we meet the needs of both the local, but also the global community that is hungry for public health knowledge in a way that it wasn't even five years ago. So there is some real strategic thinking to be done. And the fun part of being in a leadership role is that you get to work with people to help reimagine what public health should be, not just for people who come get a master's here or or a PhD. Like that's the, that's in my mind, the easy part. It's what's our role in society in helping everybody learn and better understand public health. That, you know, that's going, to be, that's going to be a major part of what I'm going to be thinking about in the weeks and months ahead. That makes me very interested to hear. I hope to have you back soon. Ashish, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Avoiding political polarization and engaging leadership from other areas in politics it seems challenging. What opportunities exist for voices to get out there? either on the pandemic or on the environment. How have we abdicated or lost our alternatives to lead to Washington, D.C., to some extent to state and local governments? I don't just mean exercising authority. Leadership doesn't require authority. We can lead in other ways than political representation. Ashish talked about debate. I've come to equate to debate with provoking argument, as I alluded to. What stories can we tell? What images can we evoke? What role models can we bring out there? Now, with the Trump administration and its media peers so adept at dominating the message reaching its supporters— Is there a way, it may not be possible, is there a way to reach people to hear views that they aren't in a way that they'll appreciate after they hear these things and contemplate? This is the challenge. I focus on it. This is what I work on in the context of sustainability. It applies equally in the pandemic response. It looks like Ashish will be back hopefully soon, and maybe we'll come up with something that makes a difference in the world. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodek.com slash donate.